0: Love Talk Radio.
1: Hello, this is Peter Joseph, and you're listening to V-Radio.
2: Good evening, welcome to this edition of V-Radio. Uh, tonight's show, we will be once again featuring uh, more reading from the book, The Next Evolution, by Jack Reed. And uh, joining us tonight is uh, another panel, including Mr. Reed. Uh, before I get into all of that, um, there's a couple of new things that I wanted to bring up, uh, first of which is... That uh, there is now a V Radio forums at vradio.org. That's v-radio.org. radioorg um, And there you can join the forums. And please do, if you are a listener of V Radio, I'd like to know how it is that you learn about when the show is coming on. I'm trying to do a poll there. Um, there is an online poll that you can take there. Uh, just go ahead and register on those forums. And um, now, unlike you know any of the other forums, perhaps that you might have seen. Uh, the V-Radio form is for all V-Radio listeners. You don't have to be uh, involved in the Zeitgeist Movement or the Venus Project. You don't even have to agree with the Zeitgeist Movement or the Venus Project. And so long as you can conduct yourself without uh, personal attack or ad hominem and you avoid um, excessive use of other logical fallacies, no topic is off limits and anybody is welcome to be there. Um, I know that I'm going to regret saying that at some point or another, but um, uh, that is basically the story with the V-Radio forum. So please do me a favor and take a moment, even if you don't think you're going to use them very often, register on those forums and take the online survey that you'll find in V-Radio discussion. Uh, there's a few different options there for how people learn about the show. Um, to explain something going on with V-Radio donations, uh, sometime in the last three months of last year, and I can't remember which one it was, I accidentally skipped a month on what on basically on the chip in widgets and put it for the month after that and ever since then, I kept doing it and forgetting about it, so what you're looking at now is the actual donations for January um on the plus side due to some assistance I received in December, I was able to close the other January that was basically the December because once again I had skipped the widget um I was able to close that down early at $630, so I, I didn't need the full amount, so I cut it off. Anytime I don't need the projected amount, I will turn off the, the widgets because I don't need any more donations from you guys. Just save them for next month. Um, that being said, um, we once again also on V Radio have a toll-free number. You should see it when you're look, you know when you're looking up here. If you want to be added, you can still also be added via Skype. If you're out of the country perhaps, you might want to use Skype. Uh, if you can use Skype, please, you know, as opposed to, you know, uh, using my toll-free number, please do, because the toll-free number does have limited minutes. Uh, it's still, like, a decent amount of minutes, but don't call it if you don't need to. The other phone number that is listed there is local to New York. I mean, and the issue of local and long distance is almost becoming irrelevant now because so many people just have free long distance. Uh and uh that was basically all of my initial announcements to bring up. I want to thank everybody for supporting me uh and v Radio. And um another thing about the V Radio Forums is I would like some feedback from you guys in regards to things. Uh and there may be topics that there that may not necessarily be as relevant to the Venus Project or the Zeitgeist movement, the resource based economy that we can discuss freely on the V Radio forums. Um, that being said, I'm going to stick with V-Radio tradition and have my panel, uh, panelists um, introduce themselves. I'm going to start with uh, another first-time V-Radio uh, guest, Frank Lee. Um, Mr. Lee, go ahead and introduce yourself.
3: This is Frank Lee. I'm normally on Z-Radio. I'm a regular co-host there. And uh, happy to be here for the first time on V-Radio.
2: Now, Frank, since you're a first timer, I always ask uh, every first time person on the show, uh, and also folks, you know, be sure to check out Z Radio. I have a link to it on my website. Um, it's a, another great show, uh, hosted also by Thunder, um, who's been on many V Radio shows in the past. But anyway, um, Frank, go ahead and uh, tell the audience uh, what was the moment, like the, the essentially the precipice for you that got you thinking outside the box, that got you out of, you know, unplugged out of the the matrix, so to speak, and into thinking like an activist?
3: Okay. Becoming an actual activist, i that's slightly different. Um, got me thinking outside of the box. I don't know that I never didn't. Uh, I might have always thought outside the box in some way or another. You know, uh, a lot of us are brought into religion whenever we're younger and So whenever I was brought into it uh, at a very young age, I questioned it. And a lot of the answers didn't make sense to me. So that really kind of got me started, I think, on thinking outside the box. Because, you know, um, I I didn't accept the obvious answers that were given. And uh, so I always, I continued to look for the real answer. What's the truth, you know? Um, or what is reality. And so it, it's been a long, growing process for me. And somewhere around a, a year or so, uh, well, about five years ago, I started writing a book that was supposed to bring everyone together. And then I started realizing, when after I saw the first Zeitgeist film, I came to a realization that okay, we might have a whole lot harder time of bringing everyone together than to just get their philosophies on the same page, which is what that book was all about. So uh, so I decided to join the movement to try to work from, from this side of it because I believe that this side of it, what we project as a movement, is going to be the best route to bringing everyone together, finally.
0: Excellent.
2: All right. All um right. Mr. Hamill, please introduce yourself to the audience.
0: Hi there. Uh, My name's uh, Jim. Uh, I am the coordinator of the London chapter, London Canada chapter of uh, the Zeitgeist Movement. Um, uh, Just basically want to say hi to everybody and uh, thanks, Neil, for being on the show.
2: Excellent. And um, Mr. Reed, please introduce yourself to the listeners. You never know if this is their first time hearing
1: from you. Hi. I'm out here in Santa Barbara, California, and uh, the founder of the Community Planet Foundation. Um, the book that Neil's going to be reading is about how to have the world work for everyone, a real out-of-the-box look at that. And to go with the question that you asked Frank, I think I was always an out-of-the-box thinker, too, from very early age, but what really I think did it for me was looking at the night sky and just realizing how far away the the other stars and galaxies were, and that we were obviously not alone here, and that <clears throat> there was much more going on than I was aware of. So so um it was that questing for, for meaning that really started off for me.
2: All right. Excellent. Um, we also have one more panelist tonight. He's a return guest to uh, V Radio and also a fellow radio host, Mr. Bob Tuscan. Bob, go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience.
4: Man, thanks, Neil. I appreciate it. Yeah, I am a radio host, or at least I try to be. I do a program, Truth Be Told Radio, the website They Lie. When they're not telling the truth, theylie.com is our website, it's a solution-oriented program that presents all of the puzzle pieces and is dedicated to remaining open-minded. I'm an organic gardener, student of economics with a specialty in abundance and scarcity-based uh, economics, and um, I, I really am just uh, a, an activist like uh, so many others on the panel today who wants to make a difference, whether it's with 9-11 Truth or you know speaking out on the phony war on drugs, you name it. I'm here to sort of ask for um, people to wake up and, and demand that we have some change. And, and, Jack, it's great to be back on the show with you as usual, and I'm looking forward to hear a, a bit of your
2: book. Excellent. Um, go ahead well, and answer, too, Jack. I'm sorry. He was talking to you. <laughs> for,
1: all, for all of you listening out there, I, I've been on Bob's show. He's doing some really good things down there in Florida, and and the show is excellent.
2: Excellent. Yeah, and that was TheyLie.com, correct? You got it. All right. Excellent. Okay, well, um, now that we've gone through all of the introductions, uh, we're going to get to the next phase of the show. Um, for those of you who are new to the reading shows, you can listen to the rest of the chapters of this book that we've done, as well as uh, many of the chapters of Jock Fresco's book, The Best That Money Can't Buy. Uh, I've also written, or I've written, read... Um, from General Smedley Butler's book, War is a Racket, uh, if that's the kind of show that you're looking for. Otherwise, I've had a lot of other great guests, um, including Mr. Reed, just to talk about Community Planet. Uh, You can find all of those in the archives at vradio.org. Once again, v-radio.org. That being said, folks, I'm going to ask my panelists to go ahead and mute their mics if they can. And um, I'm going to go ahead and start reading Chapter 4 of The book that you can also see, if you look at the link of the show, Uh, I have the Amazon uh, link for it that's linked there. And uh, if you're interested in checking out the book, you can find it there as well. Otherwise, uh, Community Planet, it was communityplanet.org, isn't
1: it? Yes, communityplanet.org. And it's a better place to get the book than on Amazon because I'll sign the book when I send it out.
2: Oh, no, that's that's actually – it's preferable. I usually only put that Amazon link up there so that people know what it is they're looking for. But, yeah, um, in any case, but, yeah, if you can, go to his site and get it also because I know Amazon kind of hits authors pretty hard. So, uh, in any case, um, in addition to that, there's a really great little film uh, that Jack did that you can see there to get kind of an idea about what Community Planet is all about. So, all right. Uh, Here we go. Chapter 4, Living for the Highest Good in Community. The way we live together and relate together in community is the basic building block that is needed to change the world, the Community Planet Foundation. Utilizing the concept of living for the highest good of all life, how do we design our model living um, situation, community, so that it will work for all of us? We must not only meet the needs of the planet by living sustainably, We must also meet the needs of the people involved by optimizing the quality of life for all people. So the questions are, one, does being ecological mean that we have to suffer? And two, does sharing our resources mean that we all have less? The answer to these questions is an emphatic no. In fact, living in harmony with each other and the planet can be more fun, far more abundant, and much more satisfying than the lifestyles most of us are currently living. Given the Western society's penchant for consumption and indulgence, if we can't provide a more satisfying model for living, we won't change how we live until the decaying environment eventually forces us as a society to change our consumption patterns. But we don't have to let it get to that point because doing the best for the planet will also optimize the quality of life for all of us if we choose to live together in a way that can truly work for all of us. So open your mind and your heart to the possibility of how we could be living and if there's something that we may leave out of our description or that you may wish to alter somewhat, just put that in because you would be a part of this model too and your needs are important. How have we designed our towns and cities? As a starting point, let's look at how traditional towns and communities get started. How did your town or city end up looking and operating as it does? Chances are that it started out with a single home or two, possibly even farms, located on some fairly flat land. Then there were probably homes built as people moved into the area, and they were followed by some businesses. When the cluster grew big enough, government and service buildings were added until there was an unplanned and unintegrated hodgepodge of structures and streets. Also because of everyone for the everyone-for-themselves economic model... Most of the space under roofs and most of the concrete laid down to cover the earth ended up robbing people of their connection with each other and with nature, which eventually got pushed out of their lives. With the advent of cars, we started paving streets, driveways, parking lots, walkways, and freeways until until an astounding amount of land was covered with asphalt and concrete. Since it was easier to build on the lowlands and flatlands, we forced the farmers further and further out from the cities and with the suburban sprawl further out still eventually even leading to the demise of the small farmer then as the cities overcrowded those who could could moved away from the town centers dreaming of the good life with a home in suburbia they moved into their large suburban homes which now don't even reflect the current living relationship patterns But with the need for everyone, uh, I'm sorry, but with the need for the everyone-for-themselves income, we often have to jump back onto the freeways and spend a lot of time in congested rush-hour travel. We also have to get back into our cars to go and do almost anything, shopping, recreation, errands, meetings with friends, etc. So before anyone ever stopped to do an uh, environmental or sociological impact study, We created havoc for both our immediate environment and our lifestyles. We pushed out nature. We pushed out fresh food grown on the best farmland. We tied up our lives in traveling and depersonalization to the point that many of us now get minimal exercise. We are now a nation of overweight and obese people largely because of this factor. Minimal playtime and most importantly, minimal quality time spent with good friends and family. Chances are, for many of us, the jobs we have to do to support ourselves take up and sometimes become most of our lives, and many of us spend 99% of our time with concrete between us and the earth. Can we design living in harmony? But what if we could live in harmony with the environment, with each other, and with ourselves, and what if we could also really enjoy abundant, nurturing, creative, and fun lives? Imagine living in a community of loving, nurturing friends who live and work together as one family. This community has been meticulously designed and built so that we are living in harmony with all life. Because we have chosen to live in a way designed from the beginning to be for the highest good of all life, we are living integrated with nature rather than having to use vast amount of building and concrete space inherent for every one of themselves models. The community produces all its own clean energy, and though through cooperation and the use of positive technology is as non-polluting and sustainable as possible. Nature flourishes on hundreds of beautiful acres, and most of the organic food is grown through advanced techniques and non-obtrusive, edible landscaping. Since vehicles are parked at the outskirts of the community and pavement is used minimally, it's a wonderful place to play outdoors or to go for a walk and touch the land. When residents are done working in supportive, nurturing jobs, the community offers a full array of recreational, creative, and growth opportunities. Organized sports, games, music, movies, just hanging out with great people and other fun and relaxing activities are freely available and the residents enjoy them with friends who are within easy walking distance. The population of the community would be between 400 and 500. That size would be large enough so that the community could have the kinds of amenities and opportunities for a variety of recreational and creative expressions yet not so large that it would preclude each person from taking an active role in the decision-making process in the community. Cooperative communities have existed for years, but none based on the highest good-for-all model on the scale that would have more universal appeal such that people not living there would say, yeah, this community's lifestyle is much better than my own. I'd like to live there. Most are too small to have the amenities and the diversity that would appeal to people used to to certain opportunities of urban living. Critical to the design of the community is what I call the fun factor. Communities have stagnated and ultimately failed because they weren't fun and people lost interest. But if people are having fun, others are drawn in. Thus, for the community model to be viable, fun and pleasure must be interwoven into every facet of the community. In fact, a highest good approach mandates that fun, joy, and loving be the essences of our daily lives because they are so essential to our individual and collective well-being. People need to know that we can have a society where we're really connecting with each other and having a lot of pleasure. Most people now have grown up thinking that fun is having control over others, being self-indulging, being greedy, being lustful, and competing with and having enjoyment of the expenses of others. People People need to rediscover in a deeper way what fun is for them, and a community designed for the highest good of all will provide the ideal stage for this rediscovery. The tremendous potential of the use and access principle I described earlier is an integral part of this suggesting a model not being an experienced writer this chapter describing how life could be in a cooperative community on the scale I'm proposing was the hardest chapter to write what was the best way to paint or what was the best way to paint a picture of how life could be I considered a day in the life type approach but that seemed a little trite to me Instead, since presenting the vision of how life could be very different is the key factor to seeing how we can live together in harmony, I decided to go with a more detailed description of all possible community design for the highest good of all. I'm sorry, of a possible community, (laughs) not all. As a way of introducing a description of what life would look like in a community built on the principle of the highest good of all, I'd like to share with you the introduction from the proposed model that I, along with a few members of the Community Planet Foundation, wrote a few years ago. We have been working with various models, so keep in mind that this is just one possible option we're considering, and there are a lot of possibilities. Quoting, Imagine looking out and seeing unspoiled nature with clean air and a stream running by with a clean, drinkable water. Imagine the same time that you are in the middle of a community where people are living and working together as one family, The residents here increase their abundance by sharing community resources, which allows everyone access to a full range of recreational, educational, and creative interests. A purpose of this community is to support individuals in their growth so that they can make their dreams a reality. It is also the aim of the members to find peace and harmony within themselves, with others, and with nature, in hopes that this will assist in bringing peace to this earth. This is a vis- the vision shared by the members of the Community Planet Foundation, which is bringing forth a planned cooperative community. We are designing an environment that enables us to live in greater harmony and balance with ourselves, each other, and our environment. In this community, it is necessary that our lifestyle not only has abundance and success, but is also nurturing and fun. In creating such a model community, others will be able to see how we can all cooperate and enjoy a higher standard of living. Others can learn from sharing our experiments and experiments and experience through publications, seminars, workshops, and, temp- and temporary residents in the community. Eventually, we envision that the replication of our community or similar models will have a transforming effect on, indivi- on individual and world peace and the prosperity of all mankind. Our first challenge is to create the initial successful model. To do so, we believe that the key area to focus on is how we live together, We consider issues such as how to incorporate the latest technology and how to live in harmony with nature to be very important. However, our primary concern is how we interact with and relate to one another and how we make decisions that include and involve everyone. Without this, we could be missing the essence of what a community really can be, a loving and joyful support group for all its residents. To capture the essence of what we want in our community, we created this affirmation. We are living in a community, a home of peace and loving, dedicated to demonstrating harmony with all life, nurturing and supporting each other, sharing our wealth as one family, listening to the truth within each other, and responding with kindness, consideration, and loving honesty. At first, our plan was to describe the community through focusing on areas like economics, agriculture, education, recreation, etc., Instead, we chose to focus on more expansive questions involving how people should live together. How do we share our abundance? That was one. Two, how do we interact with our environment? Three, how do we reach consensus? Four, how do we beautify our environment? Five, how do we enjoy ourselves? Six, how do we enrich ourselves? Seven, how do we coordinate what what we live to do? Eight, how do we nourish ourselves? 9. How do we vitalize ourselves? 10. How do we communicate? 11. How do we bring forth inner wisdom? 12. How do we expand our community? To see how much more expensive these 12 how-do-we-focus areas are, notice how the area of health involves so much more than we consider how do we vitalize ourselves. Likewise, with food production and preparation, when the question is, how do we nourish ourselves, it makes us think about all the aspects that are important in nourishing ourselves rather than just putting good food in our bodies. We see how the 12 focus areas are all interrelated and we think it is important that as we move into a new age of cooperation, that we begin to consider our lives as a whole rather than compartmentalize them. As we explore the 12 focus areas, we intentionally tried to avoid making hard hard and fast rules. We wanted the individual to have as much freedom as possible At the same time, we realized that everyone in the community would have to have a commitment to the community's well-being and its mission for it to succeed. There are three parts in describing each of the 12 focus areas. The first is a short overview. Next are essence statements, which are ideals we feel are the essences for that focus area. Last, we list the guidelines, which are the standards we will observe and the explanation of how our community functions with respect to that focus area. It's important what questions we ask. Not only is it important that we ask questions about how we live together, but it's important to ask the right questions. Any community is only going to be as good as the fundamental questions it asks and is willing to take on. The questions determine the outcomes. So it all starts with the questions. In the 18th century America, we once asked the question, how can we live with more freedom, equality, and harmony? It was at this time revolutionary in the world. Even today, everywhere in the world, people know of Washington, Jefferson, and Franklin, but we've stagnated and largely forgotten that noble question that was the foundation of our country, and it's now time to take freedom and equality to the next level. In fact, with what we've done to the planet, it's needed for our very survival. Any good idea or good question is always subject to corruption, and it is not constantly, I'm sorry, if it is not constantly and creatively explored and energized, Right now, it's obvious that the power brokers and money interests in our everyone-for-themselves paradigm have exploited the once noble question our founding fathers asked. The planet isn't going to survive in an everyone-for-themselves paradigm with the questions that the power-based system asks. How can we get to control and shape people's lives? How can we gather for ourselves as much wealth as possible? And how can we dismember and numb people out so that they don't overthrow the system we lose control? Or say, and we lose control. While the last question may not be absolutely conscious, the big players absolutely have a huge stake in maintaining the status quo. Remember the Nikola Tesla story earlier? Well, that's just one of a million examples. Because of the stagnation and narrowness in the questions we currently ask, that's why we, in our community planet community description, decided we had to be really expansive in the questions we chose to ask about how we live together in community. For example... The question we asked about how we govern ourselves, how do we reach consensus, stands in stark contrast with the current ideology of how does does everyone try to get their way and how do the power brokers manipulate and control the masses. If we were to ask how do we reach consensus in all our decision-making, the question is so expansive and all-encompassing that we would eventually come up with a decision-making system that includes the highest good for all. As part of that question we would take on the more fundamental question I've posed. Given that there are enough resources and manpower on the planet for all of us to live abundantly and in harmony with our environment, what is the problem? As long as we have the imbalances on the planet that we currently have, we need to passionately keep asking that question and start acting upon it. Eventually, we would end up with a model that would work for all life of the planet and for future generations. Again... It all boils down to what questions we ask and are willing to take on, and I think most societies have been asking very limiting questions at best. For example, the Puritan culture, which still has an influence on us today, asked very controlling questions. How can we get people to behave out of fear? How can we punish people to keep them in line? How can we show that suffering is good? How can we keep women in their place? And how to repress, repress people and get them to keep their feelings to themselves. At this time in history, we need to ask very different questions. The kinds of questions that we asked in our community description of how we would live together more successfully and more abundantly, underlying all of the questions is our foundational, fundamental question how can we live together for the highest good of all concerned? Because of the way this chapter is um, divided up, I'm actually going to go ahead and pause at this point, and we can discuss everything that we have done, that we have read so far. So that being said, I'm going to bring on my panelists, and I'm going to look here. I'm going to go ahead and start with you, Bob. Um, Mr. Tuscan, did you have anything you wanted to add so far?
4: Well, uh, I'm glad to hear um, some of the book for the first time here, and it really encompasses a lot of the themes that I think... A lot of people need to focus on Um, how are we going to make this transition is is a question a lot of people get when they talk about an abundance-based system, a non-monetary system, um, something beyond the price system or beyond the debt-based system. And, Neil, you've heard me uh, bring up the example many times, and you've uh, used it on your show as well, of the chickens and their behaviors how they changed when you introduced different conditions of scarcity versus abundance and, and so forth um and um I don't want to I don't want to tell it again if you haven't heard it by now go into the archives and, and there's there's a lot of um things to be learned from that that little uh, antidote but uh, the point being is that people's behaviors are going to radically change when we take away that conditioning of scarcity. So for thousands of years, we've been living under conditions of scarcity for the most part. Things weren't um, as abundant as they are today. We didn't have the ability to come up with things like Nikola Tesla came up with. And although I believe that's a reality today, and it has been for some time now when one machine could essentially replace... 13 million human beings' physical labor in 1913. I can show you that on a growth curve. Uh, M. King Hubbard, one of the founders of Technocracy Incorporated, that's Technocracy the Movement, um, he, he understood this. And, and what happened during the Great Depression when we had the ability to grow more food than ever before? What do we do? Because we lived in a price system, they destroyed crops and paid farmers not to grow food to, to fix that that scarcity based means of value, and and that's so outdated, um, and touching back, I, I know I, I'm digressing a little bit. Touching back on on Jack's book and in his chapter, um, I really feel that those sort of footprints on people's brains will slowly be uh, made rid of. And and people, when they play sports and they're involved in the community, for the first time ever, they'll be able to, you know, enjoy these activities for the sake of enjoying them and not be brainwashed with their nine-to-five jobs, uh, as you put it in the book. Um, uh, You didn't put it exactly like that, but they're not going to be brainwashed with their debt-slave-based existence controlled by the mainstream media and uh, not really reaping the benefits that nature provides. One last quick statement. I study ecology a lot. Um, That's one of my my pet uh, subjects. And in nature, things work together. And we need to start as human beings working with nature. And in nature, there is an abundance provided. That's why we see the paradigm shift of people moving towards uh, permaculture with uh, a garden growing in abundance, and, and so on. And and I think that eventually, hopefully, uh, we'll we'll move in that direction. And I, and I see steps uh, being made on, on this show and others, and I appreciate it. Uh, and, Jack, again, I, I really enjoyed listening to that first chapter.
2: Okay. Um, Mr. Hamill, did you have anything to add at this point?
0: Um, yeah, first of all, I just wanted to say that I think I agree with every single word that was spoken there. Um, and Jack, yeah, you're an amazing author, and uh, it's awesome that you're here. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say, I, I kind of like the idea of, like, the interjection of, of the moralistic idea of, you know what I mean, why it is that, that we want to do this, and why everybody is sort of, you know, uh, moving towards these ideas, Um And and I just think that, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't matter which way that you look at it from from the perspective of, uh, um, uh, you know, if you look at religion, for instance, it basically is just trying to bring about a moralistic uh, 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 prospect of humanity, right? And how do we learn to take care of each other and whatnot? And, uh, you know, they've utilized different means to basically, you know, sway popular attention towards, uh, you know, promoting their power base and whatnot. uh, They being the power brokers, um, which I thought was that was great way to (laughs) the great way to bring that or to mention uh, those in power. And anyhow, um, yeah, I just think that you know now that we're more gauging our moralism on reason and whatnot, and that's becoming more popular. um, I just think that it's uh, it's coming along very nicely, and you see all these groups uh, joining together and uh, you know starting to really make some changes and, and you know having a different perspective of how we can all. You know, coexist on this planet, and it's not just being left up to the to the few. Like we're actually discussing it, you know what I mean? We're actually bringing it into the uh, attention of of everybody. And I think that's cool that we're having this uh, social discussion about how to how to live on the planet together. You know, I think it's awesome.
2: Excellent, excellent. Um, and that brings me to Mr. Uh, Frank. Go ahead, and you want to comment?
3: Yeah, sure do. Um, and, and this is the first time I get to talk to Jack. Jack, uh correct me if I'm wrong. You started the foundation or the uh the uh your group with a group of students, right? You're a college professor, or at least used to be. Uh,
1: no, it was with a group of um people through a through a class uh, that was offered through the Peace Theological Seminary and many of the people who were we're in our small group that originally put together this vision. Were friends, and the new people that came in became friends. So it was essentially a group of friends who met together, had fun together, and explored these uh, these uh, concepts together. That 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 wrote this chapter that we're reading right now.
3: Okay, so what kind of class was this?
1: It was uh, in Los Angeles. There's a, a seminary called the Peace Theological Seminary, and it was a class that was offered through that seminary, and I was the facilitator of that class.
3: Okay. Okay. Uh, I was curious because I mean, you you came across a lot of the same kinds of concepts and and solutions that, uh, though they might not mirror exactly what Jacques Fresco suggested with his uh, Venus project, it, you still, you touched on a lot of the same bases, and, and I thought that was really interesting when I first saw that video, that introduction to uh, planet the F- Planet Foundation um, about six months ago, wh- whenever I first joined the movement, it was like within the first week I had joined, I'd seen this video and I was like, wow, that's amazing. That here's this group that's outside of all of this, and they're saying the exact same things that we are. So obviously, between us, we're onto something here, and this really means something. And, and so it, it kind of it kind of validated a lot of my thinking, and I thought that was really useful.
1: Excellent. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting, Frank, that I've heard from people. Uh, from around the world at this point, not and people who were not necessarily uh, well, most of the people were not associated with the white guys movement or may not even know what it is. Uh, but people who read the book, or, or some people who just watched the video and got the concept from the video, but but many people read the book and they and they emailed me and they said they would say. You know I felt like I wrote that book, and I said I would say,, uh, go ahead and take credit for it because I think if any group of people got together and and some people have been thinking about this individually about how we could create a world that works for everyone, and we would all come up with a similar idea if we held that consciousness of the highest good for all so so i I don't take any great um uh Founding ownership of this concept. This was put together by a group, and it's the same. I think it's a very similar kind of conclusion that most people would come to if they were coming out of their loving.
3: I think it's really interesting that you say that because, you know, a lot of people get together a lot of the time and start talking about man, the world is just so messed up, and this is messed up, and that's messed up, and and it's just so messed up. And and that seems to be the general consensus, right? But then you start talking about, well, how will we fix it? And no one seems to come forth with any real answers. I I wonder if it's for fear of rejection or what, but a lot of times you hear these conversations or are a part of them, and, and yet nothing really ever seems to come out of it except general consensus yeah the world's
1: screwed well i think it's so easy for for people to be critics and uh, particularly uh in the field of politics it's it's just so easy to there's so many things that are out of balance there's so many things that are you know immoral if you will or or if you believe in evil that might even be evil there's so many things to rail against that that one could just go on endlessly about those things. But what about focusing on a solution? So do we want to use our creative energy and just try and battle all those things that are out of balance, or do we want to just change the whole paradigm, and which will then shift everything else? And that's the purpose of coming up with this model on how people could live together in community, because demonstrating this is the one thing I think that could change everything else. It's the linchpin.
3: Well, I think it's interesting that you brought up the, those terms, uh, evil and um, and such, uh, because that's something that we've been facing in the movement lately. Uh, how do we how do we include theists yes. and, and other religious people? in on this whole concept, I mean, they, surely it, it makes sense to everyone, and surely everyone should be able to accept it. But then one of the things that we begin to realize is that when when you have this idea of evil, you start thinking that, okay, no one is going to be able to accept this thing because some people are just evil at heart and they just will not go there. Whereas I prefer terms like um, unconstructive, um Conditioning, uh, things like that, you know, where it's not necessarily evil. It's just not enlightened, maybe, or um, or not constructive. You know, it's uh, – so that – because that's a condition that can change. A person who's evil is just plain evil, and they'll probably never change. But if As you Peter have Joseph, somebody who's um, – Uh, Real quickly, as Peter Joseph puts it, aberrant behavior is aberrant behavior. Right. So if you have someone who's conditioned, well, they can be reconditioned.
2: And when we say recondition, I would actually prefer to use the word rehabilitate.
3: (laughs) Right. (laughs) right.
2: Recondition sounds like you're trying to brainwash them when it's actually more of a matter of trying to help people recognize the truth of what's going on around them and then allowing them to recognize that and therefore react in a healthy manner. Um, Right you know let me, let me take a moment here myself uh i think one of the parts that sticks out to me is that people don't really realize that a lot of the problems that we have in our in our living situations are based on the fact that the way our cities are constructed is so haphazard just as jack had suggested you know um and that's one of the reasons why Jacques talks about the circular city model um and it it has to do with the fact that we just kind of well a few people live close to each other and then they start patching in more buildings as needed. No planning really goes into it. You know, and then afterwards, you know, they you, you say, "Well, I would like more public trans, you know, transport transportation because that's more ecologically sound." Well, now we need to figure out how we're going to cram that into our already built city. You know, that, that's just an example of the kind of things that, you know, people ask us, you know, where are you going to get the resources and the energy to do all of this? When you design a city to be more efficient from the get-go, it will require a lot less maintenance. It will require a lot less energy for people to operate, you know, the various things that they need when they live in a city. And it will be a lot easier to get around in it, you know, which which eliminates a lot of stress. I mean, you know, there's so much stress involved with driving. I mean, I have friends of mine, you know, it's like I've seen, you know, one thing that drivers do that, that always makes me chuckle is, you know, they they just assume take a different route so that they don't have to make any left turns because it's harder to make a left turn, you know, depending on what lane you're in. You know, because of the way we design our streets, um, you know, that was one thing that that came up, and it, went, and it has a lot to do with this this design issue for for communities, um, and that's that, that's something else that you know people ask about. You know, like what kind of technology are we going to get? They don't understand that a lot of what Jock is suggesting is a method. It's a matter of this is an approach to how we go about solving problems. There are a lot of variables that, you know, we cannot exactly take into account just yet because we don't know what the circumstances will be when people recognize the time for a resource-based economy is near. Um, So, therefore, we have to look at it as it happens, not try to speculate on what we can do uh, based on, uh, you know, ideal or optimal circumstances, because then we just set ourselves up for disappointment. Um, so that being said, um, now, uh, Jack, is there anything so far about this chapter in particular
1: that you would like to comment on? I agree with everything you also wrote.
2: <laughs> do, do you know him pretty well?
1: <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, um, it's you know, to me, it's just it's just obvious stuff for anybody who's thinking about what's going to work for everybody and, and the highest good for all. And I, I did want to say that I, I use the term uh, uh, "evil" that because some people might relate to that. I personally, I don't, I don't know if there's such a is, is real evil um, um, <laughs> You know I, I essentially believe That everything is one thing And that, that separation is an illusion And we're down here playing the game Trying to figure out uh, The reality of that uh, So You know there's people who do bizarre things Certainly and, and 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 the whole planet Is doing a very bizarre thing In terms of how we go about life It's like how we go about life on this planet is with this every person for themselves approach is is sometimes I look at that, and if I really take that in, I think like it's like the world went insane at some point to play the game like that when it could have worked, and it can work really abundantly for everybody, but these people who got in control with the, with the power brokers and the hierarchical arrangement somehow wanted to play the game very different for their, for their own ends. And uh, I was in, um, in France. The only time I've been in Europe, I was in France for seven plus weeks in the summer of 2009, teaching uh, six consensus uh, courses that were each five days long. And, and in seeing some of the incredible places that were built, like Versailles, you go into Versailles, and it's like, my God, people built this, this kind of opulence. And I was I was touring that and Notre Dame and all the cathedrals, and these cathedrals, some of them took a couple of hundred years to build. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's, these are incredible pieces of, of work, but How were the masses of people living? And the amount of effort that they took to put into these kinds of things, couldn't they have taken that same effort to have designed a system that was really going to work for everybody instead of funneling uh, all the opulence to the type of the hierarchy? I mean, it was just, as I was walking around, it just seemed like you know craziness in history from hundreds of years ago.
2: It is kind of amazing to do that, and that's that's actually an argument that comes up a lot when we talk about religion, too, because uh, people, you know, they want us to lay off of religion, and it's not to say, and we we generally have to be very clear with people, we don't suggest in the Zeitgeist movement that people are not allowed to be religious, nobody's passing any laws to prevent people from being religious, it has to do with the issue of if you, I mean, if your religious beliefs include the idea that you need to build cathedrals, when there are people who don't even have homes, yeah, we're going to have a problem because that's illogical. Um, if you're content to have your peace with you and your God, as Thomas Jefferson would suggest, then that's fine. The only time it's going to be an issue, and, you know, but this is the funny thing about this, is that I think that, you know, Jesus didn't build any cathedrals, Jesus didn't teach in any fancy places, he generally taught outdoors. And uh, I don't really necessarily feel that he would even agree with any of the the, the monetary isms. You know, he threw the uh, the money changers out of the temple, for example. So it doesn't even seem you know really uh, accurate to religion in and of itself. Um, but th- that that aside, there are many religions. It more has to do with the fact that you know we want people to be rational in the, in the distribution of resources, and the way we build our communities is an example of that. Another point that I wanted to get at that kind of sparked into my mind when I was uh, talking to uh, Frank was, you know, Frank brought up, you know, know, being solution-oriented. And I I was on a show just for the heck of it uh, the other day on this uh, radio place called Enformed Radio or whatever. Um, And I want to warn you guys, if any of you listen to the recording, I was was experimenting with some of my anti-troll tactics. So uh, I was in very rare form. Uh, but in any case, these people were so focused on, I mean, it's it's essentially, a, it's, a, it's a, a truth movement radio show, but man, they had some pretty interesting beliefs, to say the least, but not all of them were bad people, but they, they just, they really were focused on just the doom and the gloom and the doom and the gloom, and, you know, well, your idea will never work, the New World Order will stamp it out, and all this other stuff, and we're just like, okay, so what's your solution? And then they're like... Oh, you see? Oh, yeah, that's what the Zeitgeisters always do. They ask us what our solution is, you know, because they need to make fun of the fact that we point out that they don't seem to have one. (laughs) You know, they want to go on and on and on and on about that, but they don't have one. You know, and if you listen to it the way they're saying it, I'm like, okay, so then why – I even said this on the air. It's like, so then why are we even bothering to have this radio show? Because according to your assessment of everything, the New World Order is just going to put us all in plastic coffins anyway. So what the hell are we wasting our time here for? You know, we ought to go out and party, you know. Let's get as much freedom out of our lives as we can. You know, if you're so focused on this idea that nothing we're going to do is ever going to work and we're all going to die, well then, I- I'm not wasting any more time arguing with a bunch of people who are insulting and acting ignorant. I'm going to go have me some fun, you know. Um,
0: and,
2: <laughs> yes, that's that's I know. And it's almost like they're addicted to talking about it, too. And the funny thing about these guys is they were, you know, they were anti-Alex Jones. They were, you know, it was they had all these other. I mean, there's so many fragments within the the quote-unquote truth movement now, and that's it's, it's one of the reasons why that the funny thing is is the more irrational behavior that I see from certain people in the truth movement, ironically, is making me more and more skeptical of the conspiracy theories that they purport. And it's just because you get. You have to realize these people are so irrational that they'll make any distinction just to make things more spooky and interesting. You know, even if it's completely nuts. Now, before we tangent too much on that, I kind of wanted to point out that what it amounts to is that the solution-oriented thinking seems to be out of the scope. Uh, a lot. I mean, not just in the truth movement by any means, but you know, in uh, just in um, more specifically in the world in general. Uh, People are kind of content to just throw their arms up in the air and go, well, that's the way it is, and that's the way it's always going to be, and, you know, then they go back to watching American Idol or they log back into World of Warcraft, and, you know, they don't – it becomes unfashionable to talk about any of these things, much less the solutions, and that's what we're up against, folks, is getting people thinking uh, positively about what we should be doing instead, and I'm I'm glad to see that, you know, it is starting to become more, quote-unquote, in vogue to be green thinking. But I'm afraid – and this is one of the reasons why Jacques says that he – it's not that we want there to be a collapse before we engage any of these ideas. is that we're concerned that maybe it's going to take something catastrophic to get people to wake up. And, and history tends to be on our side in that. Now, I want to open up the floor to any further comments before we continue reading. Um, did anybody have anything they wanted to add?
4: People are not going to wake up until they're hungry. Watch. <laughs>
1: It's an interesting Ronald point. That'll
0: definitely wake them up. That's for sure.
1: I just want to share that. Uh, just piggybacking on what you said, there's, as I said earlier, it's so easy to be a critic, and and I guess there's a certain amount of joy out of the doom and gloom that the people get from that. But are they having any fun doing that? And as you said, are they really accomplishing? anything. I mean, God bless them because it's that's a tough place to be in one's consciousness where they don't see any positive light at the end of the tunnel. And uh, I just politely excuse myself from those conversations and, and choose to play with people because there are so many people who do see a positive solution. And those are the people to spend the time with. And these other people, They'll see it when we get this model started. they'll eventually see it, and that's what will eventually change them. But meanwhile, there's just so much disinformation and misinformation out there that to try and get involved with the analysis of everything that's out of balance is is oh man, that is a tough place to be in one's consciousness.
2: You know, um, just real quick, and then i'll I'll let the next person talk um I, I didn't really understand what you meant by againstness when we talked about it on another show until I started to really evaluate the way these people do, and they get really caught up in it. It's almost like they they enjoy being negative um i've seen I've met people like that they're like negative energy batteries you know uh, un, unless they have something to complain about, they're not happy. Um, i 've known people like that that are so miserable in their life that they 'll come home looking for something, and if they can 't find anything to be mad about, then they seem to get more and more frustrated. see <laughs> best to leave them alone now. I heard somebody else was trying to talk I apologize uh who was next
0: yeah it was I was just wanted to basically talk about one of the reasons why I think that this occurs and why people sort of have this psychosis where they 're sort of Uh, you know, expecting that the worst is partially because of religion and that every single religion has an eschatology. Um, It has an uh, end-time, you know, uh, rhetoric of some sort um, that basically goes into that. And and everyone who is religious sort of is tied to that in one way or or another. Uh, And I'm talking about literally everyone, Christianity and and Muslim, uh, Judaism, Buddhism, they all have an eschatology. And uh, it's kind of freaky because none of it none of it works out uh, for most people. Uh, so you know you can kind of see where they get this this attitude, and it's uh, uh, I just hope that you know what I mean. People don't fall into that too much, and they have a little bit of hope because there's there's a lot more to uh, there's a lot more left. <laughs>
3: Well, I think it's interesting that you bring up the uh, religion thing because, you know, there's a certain intuition that goes into pretty much all religions as well as the monetary system and politics. Pretty much anything that requires any form of faith is intuition-based, and it's that intuition base that so many people are conditioned to that even a lot of the people who grow beyond their religion and are no longer religious – uh, are still stuck with that intuition-based thinking. And and that's why I think you see a lot of these uh, newfound atheists making these really bold and accusatory and even downright mean statements about religious people and about religion itself.
2: And I, well, I think that especially because religion... It becomes a problem because religion ends up hurting people sometimes, and it makes people bitter And they look at it, and they they see it as a form of tyranny. And it can be a form of tyranny, depending on, you know, which religion you're talking about, and more specifically, which interpretation. Because generally, when you you peel these religions, you know, down to their core, you you tend to find that, uh, you know, most of them all have a peaceful intent. Um, But as they're twisted and turned uh, towards anybody's benefit, they, they tend to not really maintain their integrity. That's, that's really one of the only problems with it, and it's, it becomes a, like, that's why I say to people in the Zink Ice movement, and, and Jacques Fresco and Roxanne and I covered this on the last show they were on, was that it, it's not necessary to be cruel to people who are religious. It's more of an issue of, you know, as Jacques said, rather than waiting around for some divine entity to create something like heaven on earth, just start doing it. You know, don't wait around for miracles to feed the hungry. Get into science and feed the hungry. You know, it's and if, if you're okay with that, then, then we're okay with you. That's, that's pretty much where it goes from there. Now, Is it, go ahead.
3: Isn't there a statement that says something to the effect of God helps those who help themselves?
2: Yes, actually. I mean, yeah, you could exactly. you could sit around and come up with biblical quotes that, that favor what we're doing all the time and and one of the reasons for this is uh... i bring this up sometimes in the show but little-known anthropological fact is that uh... and this is kind of ironic but the, the first christians were uh... anarcho-communist they they shared everything they lived together in harmony and you know worked together as as kind of like a larger family and that's why uh... It, it's it's always it makes me chuckle when you see you know the the way that the Christian right, that also usually happens to be very libertarian, says that the Bible is free market capitalist, and that just doesn't make any sense to me at all. So, uh, but anyway, uh, before we get too much further off the topic of communities and things like that, uh, somebody put uh, one more comment I want to bring up. Somebody put in the uh, the chat room was they said that the difference between a law-abiding citizen and a criminal is about nine meals. And I just watched this film called "The Triumph of the Spirit," and I promise folks for listening, this is the last tangent. "The Triumph of the Spirit" with William Defoe, um, and James Edward almost the, those, the, the one, man you might, some of you might know from Battlestar Galactica, uh, and it, it was basically about some Jews in Auschwitz. But in any case, I, I realized as you watch the, the behavior in scarcity is so obvious because these poor people you know they're all jews they're all in it together and they're trapped in that place and then you watch as they start te- stealing each other's shoes and stealing each other's food and you know and it's it's so obvious that it's the circumstances that created that you know, it's
4: absolutely uh, the circumstances you Neil, know, it's just like the chicken mm-hmm. example and by the way that quote that you just read that's mm-hmm. a quote from howard scott one of the founders of this idea of post scarcity economics Google that name, Howard Scott, a brilliant man, and it touches on what I said earlier, that people are only going to truly wake up when they're hungry, unfortunately. I mean, that's when people really are going to say, what's going on here? And and that's when they're going to seek abundance-based initiatives.
2: Yep, that's for sure. Now, um, anything further from anybody before we go on? All right, I will take that silence as a no. Uh, if anybody has any comments, don't forget to use the uh, the Skype host chat that I set up for this show. All right, folks, we're going to continue reading from The Next Evolution by Jack Reed. You are listening to V-Radio. Please visit v vradio.org, v-radio.org. There in the archives, you will see more shows uh, where we read from this book and more shows talking about Community Planet. And a lot of other great shows uh, that you could basically programming like this that you will see with great guests and sometimes just great topics. So we're going to continue on. How do we share our abundance? One of the first questions a group of people living in any community needs to ask is how to define their financial interrelationships. This question gets answered by default in our current world economy because we just continue the old everyone for themselves paradigm without exploring other possibilities. Also, wealth is typically defined as a person's net worth. But isn't wealth so much more than that? An ailing and or depressed billionaire would probably give all his or her material wealth in exchange for health and happiness. Recognizing that abundance in our lives means far more than material wealth. In our question concerning how to how we interrelate with respect to wealth, we chose to ask how we can all live together abundantly. This planet could be a paradise for all of us to share. It's a very abundant place to live, if we would just make that choice. As I stated in the previous chapter on the highest good, sharing resources has incredible advantages. We can have so much, much more when we pull our resources. We currently tie up so much of our wealth in individual possessions that we individually use. If we can redefine wealth as use and access rather than as possessions, then we can really cut down on our consumerism while at the same time having access to much, much more than we would individually have. We don't need to each own a lawnmower, a complete set of tools, laundry appliances, vacuum cleaners, etc. We only need access to these things. Although there is nothing comparable in scope to the model communities we're proposing – The 60 members of the Twin Oaks community were living on only $250 per month um, each in 1986, I'm sorry, $250 per month each in 1986, and the 14 members of the Alpha Farm in Oregon were living comfortably on $140 per month each person. Through sharing resources, we can not only have use and access of far more things than we normally would, but we would be using far less of our own financial resources, not to mention using far less of the planet's resources. We also don't need as many people laboring to produce the quantity of material goods that we consume. In designing a model community, one of the most challenging questions to consider is to what extent do we share our individual and group wealth? Even if we're eventually headed towards an egalitarian model, For our first model community, we may want to create a system where people live with uh, with diverse economic backgrounds, choices, and lifestyles can still participate together as we transition from the old everyone-for-themselves model. In the transition period, we think it is important to provide for these individual choices while at the same time capitalizing on the tremendous economic and lifestyle benefits through living cooperatively. On the one hand, we want to take care of each other as a family, On the other hand, sharing everything equally might be asking too much of many people at first. That step would probably be further down the line when people can see how well it works to live cooperatively. With the dual purpose being to create an abundant community that is a joy to live in and to provide a working prototype to encourage other communities to spring up around the planet, we know that we have to create an economic model that will make sense and work for almost everyone." At first, because our planning group for the Community Planets Foundation's model was sharing-oriented, we considered what would happen if we all shared equally. We felt that we, the planning group, could all do it and, through sharing resources, could enjoy a very abundant lifestyle. However, we also knew that some people might be turned off to this, people who, at least at first, might individually want more than others. As we always worked with design situations where everyone can win, we came up with a unique solution. Because we see ourselves as one family, we decided that the land, structures, and communally abused or provided resources belong to and are the responsibility of all residents. As we look at the damage we've done to the planet, in retrospect, it looks truly crazy that people have been able to do whatever they wanted to the environment regardless of the highest good of all. When individual interests can do what they want with the land, water, and air as opposed to planning as a group with the welfare of generations to come come, taken into consideration from the start, then we have a recipe for the life-threatening environmental problems we now face. Instead, we need to design land usage to work for everyone. We need to again think of and act towards land and nature (laughs) as being sacred. If we don't do this, housing and cities get stuffed together, nature and productive land upon which to grow food disappears, pollution becomes a major problem, and concrete spreads like a seal over the land while walking disappears. This is our world. It belongs to all of us, including the future generations, and we need to plan and share it and its resources with ultimate care for all life in order to keep it intact for our children and our children's children. In regards to housing, group ownership becomes a very freeing concept. As the system is now, people can, have stu- can become stuck in housing situations due to finances. Many have moved to suburbia with long commutes and with the necessity of jumping into a car to do almost anything. We usually also have no idea who our neighbors are and no real connection to them as people. Because buying and selling is at the mercy of the ebb and flow of the market, people get trapped in locations, sometimes for years, while their lives get progressively more isolated. Then, because they need their 9-to-5 jobs to continue their lifestyle, they get trapped on the treadmill of life. Our model, Highest Good Community, will provide basic human needs to all residents. These benefits include food, shelter, health needs, recreational and creative equipment and supplies, communication systems, educational opportunities, and transportation. However, if a a person chose to work outside the community and the person earned more than the average cost per resident cost of living, the resident would only be obligated to contribute 10% of that excess gift bound to the community. Likewise, residents working within the community and making money outside, i.e., through outside investments, would contribute 10% of their outside income. With the above system, we felt that all residents would have a baseline lifestyle at a very high level, and the people who want even more could not only still have that, but also their increased riches would benefit the whole community as well. As I wrote earlier in the Highest Good chapter, the now prosperous Mondragon area of Spain is an example of people working together for the benefit of all. Another example of the value of cooperation is the kibbutzim in Israel. I'm sure I probably butchered that pronunciation. With less than 4% of the population living on about 250 kibbutzim, they still produce 40% of Israel's agriculture and 70% of Israel's industrial exports. At the same time, they provide all of the food and housing for their members, as well as the medical needs, education, and the entertainment, and recreation. With an entire community planned from the beginning to be in harmony with all life, with the sharing of resources and with our renewed sharing with nature and with each other, we can do even better in our model community in terms of the abundance of our lives on all levels. The Community Planet Foundation's overview description for how do we share our abundance is as follows. Again, there are many possibilities. So this particular description is just our attempt at painting a possible picture based on the highest good for all. Because a friend of mine said that the guidelines portion of the description read a little dry, I tried to spruce it up a bit by interjecting some non italicized comments. How do we share our abundance? We and Community Planet operate under the premise that there is enough wealth on the planet for everyone to have a very abundant standard of living. Historically, the problem in achieving this has been in the distribution of wealth. While people tying up so many resources in the accumulation and protection of possessions, much of the planet's wealth goes unused. When we share a community, we do not need tennis courts, swimming pools, and beautiful gardens of our own. We just need access to those facilities within the community. Likewise, we do not need a car for every person. We just need enough cars so that everyone who needs to drive away from our community has access to one. We can collectively save a huge sum of money by sharing our abundance on many levels. Possibly wealth in our times needs to be redefined as use and access rather than ownership. We also have created a system in our community where people with diverse economic backgrounds, choices, and lifestyles can still participate together. In Community Planet, we think it is important to provide for these Individual choices, while at the same time capitalizing on the tremendous economic and lifestyle benefits through living cooperatively. Essences. How do we share our abundance? By supporting our growth through an attitude of dynamic openness. It's amazing the abundance that can come to us when we share to the gifts. Share. I'm sorry. We are open to the gifts that God has in store for us. By sharing our wealth as one family, we must eventually recognize that we are all sisters and brothers on this planet. By sharing out of our overflow by sharing on the basis of need when will we finally learn that everyone needs that I'm sorry that the needs of the one are the concern of everyone by being joyful givers on all levels giving joyfully and being of service are excellent ways to be abundant by recognizing that the source of our abundance is in our inner qualities of love and joy we need to realize that the quality of our lives has more to do with the What is happening inwardly than what is happening externally? Guidelines. The land, structures, and communally used or provided resources, i.e. vehicles, furniture, equipment, etc., belong to and are the responsibility of all residents. We don't need the burden of so much stuff. It's all ours. Residents have ownership of their personal possessions, which may include furniture, equipment, vehicles, etc., which the residents have individually purchased. But you can still use my oldies CDs. I can't listen to all of them at once. The living structures belong to the community, and the residents may have lifetime tenancy. Let's free ourselves up without losing any of the real advantages. The community provides basic human needs to all residents at a fair and reasonable exchange rate. These benefits include food, shelter, health needs, recreational facilities, and equipment communication systems, and transportation. Every resident working in the community will earn enough to provide for their living and personal expenses. Until we truly take care of one another, it's still an everyone-for-themselves world. Residents working outside the community contribute 10% of their income over X amount month to the community general fund, X equal the average cost of living per resident. They have the option of contributing more than 10%. Residents working within the community and also making money outside of it through investments contribute 10% of their outside income. They have the option of contributing more than 10%. I'll be sharing all of mine and getting so much more in return. They do not receive the monthly income if their income is greater than the amount of the cost of living plus the monthly income. Requisitions are available for emergencies, trainings, education, etc., Excess community income by the process of consensus can be put into the general fund, put into special projects, or used in any other way that the community decides. This must be our decision, not the decision of special interest groups. Incoming residents give a non-refundable entrance fee to the general fund of the community. The guideline is that the fee is large enough to show commitment, but not too large, as to exclude people When a person chooses to leave and get reestablished outside the community, the community, to the best of its ability, will support that person to get reestablished. Think of the impact that redefining wealth as use and access would have on crime. People currently don't know what to do about crime. We talk about harsher punishment and more enforcement, but creating a lifestyle with abundance, opportunity, nurturing, and loving based on a sharing model would reduce crime much more effectively. Because of the resource sharing in the community, crimes of property become almost meaningless. What can a person really steal when they have access to virtually everything the community has to offer? Also, living abundantly has less to do with consumption and material goods than it does with the quality of our lives on all levels. I know of one family of four that was living in a cabin in California's Sierra Nevada Mountains on less than $10,000 a year. The husband then got a job in the San Francisco Bay Area that paid $200,000 a year. However, with all that his income could buy, the family came to the realization that the quality of their lives and their abundance was far greater when they were living in their cabin. Interestingly, while our consumption has increased 45% since 1970, the Index of Social Health reports that during the same time, the quality of our lives has dropped 51%. Consumption and materialism do not equate with abundance and are often the antithesis of what abundance truly is. A 1995 Merck Family Fund survey indicated that Americans would be happier with lifestyles based on gratifying personal relationships rather than on consumption. According to the U.S. News and World Report poll, 51% would rather have more free time even if it means less money. You can count me in on that. One downside of what we typically think of as wealth is that most of us get stuck on the treadmill of having to slave to perpetuate our lifestyles, and that really drains the life out of most people. We've been chasing a concept of freedom that we've thought of as having enough money to do what we want, then we, uh, when we want, to the extent that we want. The trouble is that in an everyone-for-themselves model, this isn't possible for the vast majority of people. If there's not enough money in circulation to pay the national debt, then there is a finite amount of what people think of as wealth, thus producing the haves and the have-nots. We brought into having lots of uh, we bought into having lots of possessions because we think they create freedom through security. However, freedom is anything but uh, but being struck i'm sorry being stuck on the treadmill, and wealth is really so much more than the money or material goods, part of the essence of freedom is having fun and pleasure and living in our community will be incredibly fun and rewarding on all levels as we heal the alienation and isolation that have characterized our civilization and we move into being nurtured by nature and by each other. That really is our divine heritage. Well, I'm going to go ahead and stop at this point again um, and uh, call on all of the panelists after I take a moment and uh, actually reply myself to something um so guys go ahead and get ready with your comments but uh interestingly you know i i like a lot of the stuff that's laid out here and it sounds like a an interesting way to get a community started uh first of all i would i would want to say uh jack are are you currently sitting at the keyboard right now
1: i am sitting here
2: Okay, I know sometimes you wander around the room. So, <laughs> in any case, um, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, and and I don't really think of this as a negative, but um, by any means, but uh, how much? I mean, I, I find myself asking, um, how much do you feel that these ideas were influenced by socialism?
1: Our ideas on putting this together, how much they were. Yeah, do you think that yeah did you have
2: any socialist influ- influences when you were thinking about it and I don't mean in the evil socialist sense I mean in the classical socialist sense
1: I don't think that we were dealing with any isms we were just thinking about what would what would work for everyone and what needs to happen right now on the planet it was it was strictly about that without you know throwing out all our preconceptions about anything so I would say it didn't play a part in it at all.
2: It's interesting that you point that out because um it's often actually been theorized that that a social what is deemed to be socialist is often kind of the natural state of things when people think of the of the best way to to get through things. Uh another funny thing was that um it's also been proven that people who have a uh, higher intellects tend to lean on the left. Uh like for example, Einstein was a socialist. Um but anyway, all of that being said, I just I kind of pointed that out only because I was curious. Is like I could just hear you know, the libertarians screaming when you said the idea of you know sharing. Of course, they they we're they're kind of conditioned to think that you know any sharing means evil, communist, bad, um, and they don't tend to think outside of that. And and I think another critical part about what you're suggesting um, that I don't think a lot of people understand. And I had to point this out also on that radio show I was on with those truthers because like well, how are you going to produce everything? Um, it's it's funny that they don't ever seem to study, but as Peter pointed out in the orientation guide, uh, a lot of the stuff that we make right now is just garbage that we've been convinced that we need. Um, it's not stuff that you need at all. And once you get rid of it and you live a minimalist lifestyle, you, you find yourself looking at all of the junk that you've purchased and going, wow, I, I can't believe I used to waste so much time on that. You know, I've looked at several of my own hobbies. I don't play video games anywhere near as much as I used to. I used to always have to have the most latest console and, you know, all that junk. But, you know, and it's one of the things that the funny thing is, is that everybody agrees with is because they all buy into the fact that, you know, through films like War by Scott Noble, um, I strongly suggest people check that out. Um, you, can, you can Google it. Um, consuming Kids another very good documentary on this topic. The Century of Self is a good documentary series on this topic. But a lot of what people think they need is entirely psychologically manufactured by the advertising industry. They know how to get in your brain and convince you that these things go from being wants to being needs. Um, I think that in the – I believe we may have even talked about this on previous Community Planet shows, uh, but, you know, the – uh, Annie Leonard from *The Story of Stuff* calls it the golden arrow of consumption. She she kind of puts the whole thing together. You watch television, television tells you, well, you suck because you don't have the latest car, you don't have the latest fashions, um, and a lot of those things are entirely manufactured. You know, that's the idea is that you're you've been told. You know, I still remember we brought that up during the the, the episode about homeschooling. I, I believe you were a panelist on. You know, was that I remember that, you know, it was so bad in the school that I went to that if, you know, Air Jordan shoes were required if you were going to be considered to be a decent human being. And if you had Air Jordan shoes, they were superior if they happened to have the Foot Locker logo still, like not logo, but tag still on them because it proved that your mother bought them at the more expensive place, i.e. Foot Locker, rather than buying them at the cheaper place, i.e. Kmart. Um, that's an example of the the manufactured idea that we need all this junk to be humans, let alone enjoy ourselves. Um, So I'm going to open the the table to the panelists again. Um, Mr. Tuscan, you want to go first?
4: Yeah, we've talked about this before. I appreciate uh, you bringing this up again because this conditioning, this uh, psychological conditioning, having people buy things just as a consumer is really how they were able to keep us as debt-based slaves. They realized once we reached this, uh, reached this point of abundance that they needed another way to occupy us, to get us uh, caught up in this uh, system. Uh, and I believe they created this consumer-based system that's dangerous. It's very dangerous. And when we watch um, the footage of people being trampled like animals, To buy a $200 laptop on Black Friday, it's absolutely appalling and very telling, an absolute sign of the times. Uh, It's amazing to me to see that sort of footage and and think that this is all a product of a system that we all know it's fake. We know it's not real. We don't need it anymore. We can rise above it. Um, And... um, Going back, uh, if I may, to uh, Jack's book uh, and his chapter we just heard, he started off uh, talking about uh, a little bit about how people would uh, receive housing and transportation and whatnot. And in there, J- Jack, you mentioned money. You mentioned that they would have money um, a few times. Um, and, you know, I don't know if I truly understand what you were getting at, but the way I see it, it is that. To introduce money would be kind of, I don't know, an oxymoron if if you're really trying to reap uh, the benefits of an abundance-based system, uh, which I I hear in in many aspects of your project, why have any money at all whatsoever when we have this ability for complete abundance? Uh, I think any time you have the ability to have this carrot-and-stick approach, which is money, uh, and you get um, this... Porting or this um you know less versus more uh thing going on you're going to have problems, and i uh, I wondered if you could clarify what you mean by money or what where that came from because on the surface, I just don't think it, it's it's the right direction to take your project in
2: let me throw a couple of comments out before you respond, jack just for and I promise i'll, I'll totally throw that up in there but um uh, one thing I would point out is that I, I think Mr. Reed is also kind of trying to talk about something that could be implemented like now rather than having to wait until all of society changes. And he he gave a lot of examples of uh, like the Twin Oaks commune and the amount the, – the cost of living per person being like down to like $145 a month, um, which is ridiculously mm-hmm. low. I mean it, it, the cost of living where I am, I've got to come up with at least 800 a month or I'm homeless – um, and it is still, uh, you know, the amount of money gets minimized so much by his approach that it's it's as close as you're going to get outside of you know a true resource-based economy. Now, that being said, um, go ahead and comment, Jack.
1: Uh, yeah, first of all, I totally agree with uh, Bob. And as as was uh, Neil read earlier before we got into a transition model that could uh work for for everyone, although it's not necessarily if we have the right people there who hold that consciousness, it's not necessarily to do with that because within the community itself, money uh for the residents could not really be spent within the community because the the housing is free, the health care is free, all the food is free, all the recreation and the creative activities those are all free, so the money's only good if if people were spending on something outside the community, or they there was a certain indulgence that they personally wanted. So um, we made it so that people who were coming into the community, they may they may say, well, I want to keep my outside investments, and it's like, okay, fine. You can do that, we'll just take ten percent of it and you can keep the rest. And you could donate the rest too. That'd be great. Or if a person was working outside the community, they have to they would have to cover so much to the community, but then they could keep, you know, whatever um, you know, X amount, X to be determined. In addition to that, but I but within the community itself yeah we need to demonstrate a model that's completely outside the money system because the money system is really a broken system and we need to change that i completely agree with that
2: now to um to to further add to that point um when people think okay well you're 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 taking that 10% People don't recognize the, uh, the initially anyway, they don't recognize the amenities that are coming along with that, all the things that you're discussing about, you know, essentially uh, you have access to everything, and that the accessibility rather than having to own it yourself is something we talk about in the Zeitgeist movement all the time. You know, you don't need to own your own pair of golf clubs. You need access to a pair of golf clubs. You don't need your own motorboat. You need access to these things. Uh, The majority of junk that people own, they, they maybe touch it, uh, only during a brief period each year particularly if it's seasonal you know and it's it, that's the, another aspect of how much you think you really need you know is that everybody pers every person does not need an olympic swimming pool in their yard they just need to be able to use one do you spend your entire life in an olympic swimming pool obviously not um now i'm going to go ahead and bring on some more of the panelists uh go ahead and move on to you jim did you have any statements to go along with us at where we've read so far
0: yeah, yeah. it reminds me of uh, Stephen Wright, the comedian Stephen Wright. You can't have everything. Where would you put it?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I really like
2: that. <laughs>
3: did did yeah. you have anything more? <laughs> yeah, no, that's about it.
2: What about you, Frank? Anything?
3: Well, I'm going to play devil's advocate here for just a second. So bear with me.
2: Uh-oh, here we go.
3: <laughs> what you're trying to tell me is that I really don't need that PS3. That I really enjoy playing. Is that what you're saying? Well, okay. Well, what about my dragon collection? You know, all my little dragon figurines, or, uh, or, I don't know, this little calculator here. Okay, I'm, I'm messing around. I don't know. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I know that you'll, you'll run into a lot of people who are going to say, you know, but wait a minute, I've got to have my TV. I've got to be able to watch my subs. I've got to be able to watch my. Uh, man soaps, you know, for those of us who like, uh, sci-fi TV or, or, uh, racing or whatever.
2: Um. Uh, Pro wrestling is man soaps.
3: Or, yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> wrestling is, is cheesy man soaps. Yeah. <laughs> My soaps are, are, on the, are all found on the sci-fi channel. Of course, now so is wrestling, but hey, I didn't choose that one. Um. Uh, but anyhow, uh no, I, I don't think I really have anything to say. You're not well, No, actually I did bad. have something to say. I, I did have something to say to uh to Jack. Um what about in those communities rather than having money uh like for dealing for your outside uh your resources that are coming from outside the community, what about a barter system rather than money? And in that way, your community no longer acknowledges the power of money in any way. They are bartering now instead of uh, trying to uh, give any, lend any value at all to money.
1: You know, I think as we get further down the line and there's more and more communities established, uh, absolutely. I mean, the object is to transform the planet and make life work for everybody in the family on, on the planet, and and that may be doing some real service for some people and a very one-sided bartering when it comes to helping people like people in Haiti to get things established. Um, I'd also like to respond to what you said about the the television and the CD3. I don't even know what that is. And the Dragon. Yeah, three (laughs) Um,
3: PlayStation video game system.
1: You know, if, if people want to have those kinds of things, uh, sure um and uh and uh, you know there might be other people within the community who want to play those things with you and do those things with you and and so those kinds of things can be shared uh you're if you're in the community Frank and you're part of the consensus and and this is making it work for everyone it's like yeah let's let's make it work for for everyone but by by uh by sharing uh, what we do have, it 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 can make it much more abundant for everybody. And and then responding to what you said earlier, Neil, yeah, there's there's so many nonsense products that are produced. It's just mind boggling. And then you watch these nature shows, and they end up washing up on some beach in the South Pacific somewhere. <laughs> you know, it's just it's 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 pretty amazing. And I, and I think a lot of these nonsense products get produced because we've got this, every person for themselves system where people are trying to survive on their own. So it's like, well, what can I do? Can I open up another store or can I I invent something that, that people, you know, that people will feel like, Oh, I got to have that nonsense product. When a friend of mine was, uh, this in Cuba some years ago, as part of a group that was was going down there, what he noticed is the kids were happy because they were outside, they were playing sports together. It didn't take much. it just took you know for a group of people to be able to come together and play together, and it takes minimal amounts of of equipment to do that. Uh, I've got some friends who've who've got kids, and the amount of plastic toys for just one kid in one house is just mind boggling and uh, and just about all families have that it's it's you know the, this every person for themselves mm-hmm. approach uh and creating individual stores that have so much products in 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 the stores, not to mention in people's houses. It's just crazy. And when the politicians talk about we need more jobs, it's nonsense. We don't need more jobs. We need more cooperation. Uh, We need fewer jobs because 85% of the jobs that exist, especially when you factor in all the nonsense products that are produced and all the products that are produced because people have to have a vacuum cleaner in their own home because you know we can't share all those things. People have to have a vehicle for every person because the the they're not cooperating and sharing that and the communities aren't designed so that so that people can get away without having to have uh owning a personal car. You know, it's just the way things are set up now is so just incredibly inefficient that uh these communities can be so much more abundant and and abundant without using money as a medium of exchange.
2: Now that's uh actually to to focus people on on stuff that they can check out. Uh you guys might want to check out the Tammy Strobel interview. Uh she basically is one of the people who's involved in the the project essentially to limit your personal possessions to a hundred or less. And she talked about how she transformed her life by just getting rid of so much junk, including living without a car. They rent a car every now and then when they need one, but they've managed to design their lives to be completely free of them. Um, another suggestion I would give people is to check out Garbage Warrior because uh, that fellow, once he made himself off the grid, he said he's never felt so free. He's never been so free that he could just go for a walk without, you know, without the idea of his bills or his his boss or any of that entering his head, you know, that they, you it takes so much off of you, you know, and it, for most of us, we only experience that, like I experience it once a month, you know, when it happens, it's after I've sent in my rent check, and I've paid all of my utility bills, I experience it for maybe a, two or three days, <laughs> until the next ones come in, you imagine what it would be like to have that euphoria of all of my bills are paid, and the house is, you know, taken care of, and everybody has food, all the time. And that's, that's
0: what... the rant is too damn, too damn high.
2: High. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I still want to get that guy on my show. Anyway, Bob wanted to talk, so go ahead, Mr. Tuscan. Still there, Bob?
4: I was talking there, Neil, but uh, I, re- I didn't realize my my mic was muted on the Skype manually there. Um, I appreciate it. I wanted to comment on something that Jack said. Um, and a thought came to mind, um, he he mentioned the idea that, you know, a lot of this sort of stuff that we collect is, is not very important and, and we don't really need it in these little games and stuff. I think people will be less likely to want to have those things. And, and the idea came up um, in my mind of um, cards, whether they be baseball cards or as of 10 years ago or so, Pokemon cards, or whatever they may be. Um, You know, it doesn't really matter, but uh, the idea came to the moment is that that will be a distant sort of thing of the past. The idea that, I mean, and if kids collect cards or whatever it may be, it will be for the sake of knowledge itself, perhaps, and not for the sake of having this card, because anybody with computers and whatnot, could have access to card Music should be the same way. People should be able to share music in abundance and play uh, sports with friendly competition. You know, I like to play sports. I, I exercise to stay healthy. I play soccer, basketball, and, and whatever I can to, to get some exercise, you know. And uh, I like to not keep score. And around me, you, you should see the reaction I get with, when I tell people, let's not keep score. What do you think people say to me?
2: They'd probably say, well, hey, then how do we know who won?
4: <laughs> I mean they can wrap their heads around it, Neil, and, and I think that's that kind of touches on um the difference in mindsets once you've reached to this sort of uh place of abundance, this this free sense. And abundance can come from very little. I found abundance in heirloom seeds, land that was paid for, uh water that came from a spring, an ocean and a remote property off the grid in Mexico. And that was abundance. That was complete abundance. okay. With no Federal Reserve notes at all. And folks, I got to tell you, leaving that behind was was a tough decision just so that I could come on the Internet. That was the one thing I didn't have in abundance out there. And that one little thing t- tweaked my whole experience so that I, you know what, I, I couldn't do it any longer. I, I felt selfish. I had to come back continue to broadcast the message and get the word out because we all need to to get the word out. We need to use the Internet, which provides this abundance of communication for us to our advantage, and and that's why we see these things on the Internet, uh, like Zeitgeist and whatnot, becoming so popular now, Uh, and I'm really encouraged, Uh, and Jack, I want to commend you for the great work you're doing with the community projects.
2: I have to say, uh um the internet is definitely a resource that uh I am not so hip on getting rid of either and that's <laughs> it's largely just the 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 freedom of information and the exchange of cultures and you know the, the socialization I'm able to do. I mean it doesn't help that, you know, I don't own a car, uh because the, the wife took it in the divorce and she ran it into the ground. Um but and it doesn't help that most of my friends live hours away and it doesn't help that the gas prices increasing have essentially given everybody a psychological aversion to driving anywhere more than a half hour uh, you know those are all issues that can make you really isolated but it's also just the issue that the internet is a facilitator of so many things you know it's i look back on it now is that the, the notion that there was a time when we didn't have internet is so crazy and that's actually it reminds me i'm i'm in the process now of putting together data and research for a film I'm going to be making on the the phenomenon more specifically. I mean, it's mostly focused on the, the, the Internet trolling phenomenon, but it's also going to focus on the fact that the culture of the world is changing to adhere to this thing called the Internet. It's changing... The way we we think, it's changing the way we see things. It's changing the way we get information, and unfortunately, there's a lot of you know there's a lot of BS, and I don't mean bad science on the internet too. But you know, the, things like this radio show could not even exist without the internet. You know, you think about how much you know di- different, basically how, how much we're empowered to be able to have internet radio shows. The idea of being able to do any of this back when we were still you know dialing in with AOL. <laughs> you imagine. You know, it's 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 almost like a wholly different world, and it was all due to one invention.
0: You bulletin know? boards, eh?
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> BBSs.
0: <laughs>
2: Those were the days, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, but um, yeah, we've come a long way, and I it's especially the the I I, I can't emphasize enough the exchanges of culture, the the friends that I've made in Mexico, in the Netherlands. In, I mean, even before the zeitgeist movement, when I played Star Wars Galaxies, I interacted with people all over the world that I would have never met without the internet. Um, so, um, in any case, uh, we come back to this: you know, what we were talking about in the book. You know, the consuming kids focuses on this issue of the manufacture of, of essentially manufactured need or manufactured desire. And one of the pieces of advice I tell people is: if you want to save money as a parent do not let your children watch commercials um get them dvds of the things you want them to see get a netflix account but do not just leave commercials in front of your children my kids are happy with any toys i get them they could be made out of wood they could be made out of you know anything you know they don't demand specific toys from me they don't ask for anything in the store i don't get pestered none of that and and I still get them toys every month, but I never really have to worry about them. You know, the whole notion of my children ever throwing a fit about any specific toy is just completely out of their scope. That's why I say, and in the same, it's not just for your kids, though. Save money. Don't watch commercials. They entice you to buy stupid things that you don't need, and you don't realize it until later. I mean, it's like there was a focus in my life actually There was a time period when um, a friend of mine and I, and this is before the Internet, I might add. It was just AOL at that time. um, You know, he had no decent, we had no cable, and we had no real access to anything other than occasional DVD movies. And we, at the time in question, did not have any video gaming consoles, which are all things that people take for granted to entertain themselves. And then one night we just realized as we're sweating away, it's like 86 degrees, wait a minute there's a lake nearby. What are we doing sitting in here? You know, don't you have a canoe? And he's like, yeah. And so we just went, it was like midnight, went and grabbed his canoe and then just went out on the lake. And then we gave up the canoe and we started swimming. And by the time we were done, we could swim anywhere on that lake. And that was what we would do. And like, we got so good at the long distance swimming. We could have conversations while we were swimming. And that's an example of the fact that, you know, people, there was life. Before American Idol, I assure you, if you turn it off, you won't die. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's I've had the similar experience. Yeah, <laughs> Good.
2: I, I'm
0: the, I'm the same ahead. as you, Neil. I don't uh, show my kids commercials as well, and I've had the exact same experience. They, they don't ask for stuff. I could take them to the mall, and they don't they
1: don't not try to grab for say, stuff that, or I, want, not I want. Even...
4: Not Crazy. even Tickle Me Elmo. I mean, every kid's got to have a Tickle Me <laughs> Elmo. <laughs> Do you remember oh, that percent. brain, that mind control, the Tickle Me Elmo thing? I mean, that's an example right there. There's no b- benefit to this thing other than they created this hype, and Tickle Me Elmo was the thing.
2: Right. Now, w- go ahead and finish what you were saying, uh Oh, me? Yeah, you. I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: yeah, okay. Um, uh, yeah, I, that's, I was just basically agreeing with you. Um, you know, it's like even even come Christmas time, we still celebrated it. We still do here. Um, but basically, I kind of put a mandate forth, and that was uh, basically if you, when we're picking toys or whatnot to try and pick something that's going to be long-lasting, um, you know, uh, uh, something that is going to be very useful, multi-use. So that we don't have to have a billion toys all over the place. I, I was trying to explain that uh, uh, you know that that's not necessarily what what they need. You know what I mean? It's not about how much and this big grandiose celebration of stuff. You know what I mean? Um, and so like for my oldest, I got him a netbook. You know what I mean? It's just something he can access uh, so much information with. He could do some games, whatnot. Uh, but you know what I mean? Something really simple. Something uh, that's going to give him a lot of use though, and it's not a Ton of stuff under the tree, you know, just for the sake of, you know, I got the biggest paycheck, so let's just blow it all on plastic junk, right? And uh, it, and it went really well, and I think we're going to practice that and do it a little bit better next year, and, you know, and uh, just focus on kind of, if you know, if you are going to celebrate Christmas, make it about the people and the family and, and the getting together and not about the stuff, and uh, let's face it, that's what everybody enjoys the most anyway. You know, everybody talks over dinner and whatnot. It's not about it's not about the stuff, and I think that we uh, accomplished that really well this year, and uh, we're going to continue that.
2: You know, before we move on to the next panelist, you just brought up something interesting, also that that really came up because of the fact that I have kids. Um, is that when I became essentially agnostic atheist atheist. Um, it was an interesting transformation because I remember now I look back on Christmas as a child and just the fact that it really was just a celebration of consumerism. You didn't really think about it at the time, of course, you know, but I I can still remember that magical feeling that was artificially created about Christmas before. And, and now I just don't care. You know, I I see Christmas going on and I remember because like, you know, this, this, this past Christmas, uh, a friend of mine found out I was here by myself because I let, you know, my ex-wife have the kids that night, and um, it was her it was her night anyway, you know, um, and it just didn't matter. You know, they felt so terrible, they insisted that I go eat dinner with them, and I went and ate some ham, you know, but it just did not matter to me at all. Um, and it was so liberating, you know, the only annoying thing about it is because everybody else cares about it. You know, nothing is open. I can't go to the store or whatever because other people are doing that. But, you know, I buy my kids stuff if I see it. You know, that something I really like for them on my own all the time. When I'm in a relationship, Valentine's Day and Sweetest Day don't mean anything to me. I'll, I'll see her favorite chocolates on my way home and I'll just grab them. You know, it, that's just it. You know, I'll just, uh, I get that moment and it was really about the giving aspect of it and the excitement that people feel when you give them something that they like that really did it for me. It didn't matter what it was as long as I knew I was hitting them somewhere special. You know, like I, I, you get really addicted to that joyous aspect, and that has really nothing to do with anything materialistic. I was watching this series of videos that are on YouTube of uh, different soldiers who were coming home and surprising their family members – and this one guy literally wrapped himself up as a present with his family's uh help to uh surprise his mother that he had gotten home for the holidays you know and it was just such a precious moment i ended up like playing a dozen of those videos of different soldiers doing that for their families but in any case um it's the the holidays really make you feel obligated to consume and it's me and uh, one of my other atheist friends who is also a parent who lives nearby, and these are people outside of the zeitgeist movement. And he literally told me, he's like, you know, I, I really appreciate it, but don't don't buy my son any more toys. And I was like, why? And he's like, uh, he has a huge family on both sides, and we literally cannot fit them in the house anymore. You know, it's it was embarrassing. You know, it's like this all kind of rings out of what you were saying. And I remember you said that the first time we had you on the show, actually, Jack, about how they had these plastic toys. The amount they had was just amazing. You know, and and, and I know what he's talking about. The funny thing is, is when my my ex-wife, for a while, she moved out of the house and she took all the toys with her because she thought she was going to get full custody. You know, and uh, so I I called him up and I told him about it. And he's like, oh, please, please come to my house and get some toys. He was begging me (laughs) to get them out of his house. Um, and it's it's because we have been conditioned to think that on the 24th of December, um, it is necessary for us to contribute to Annie Leonard's uh, golden arrow of consumption. Ah. And if we don't, then we're bad parents. It actually is something that can be used against you in court. Um, you know, the same thing with birthdays, uh, same thing with a lot of other holidays. I, I don't need any uh, consumeristic excuse to be, to show my affection by giving somebody a gift. Um, and now, that little sermon over with, I'm going to go to Frank, and since we haven't heard from him yet.
3: Uh Yeah, I I want... I, well, while we're on the Christmas thing, I actually spent this past Christmas alone. It was the first time in my lifetime, I think, that I've actually spent Christmas alone. And to be honest, I enjoyed the shit out of it. You know, I had all of my privacy, which is not something I normally get, because... For one reason or another, I'm always having family staying with me, um, so I, I really enjoyed my privacy. That was probably one of the best Christmas gifts I think I've gotten in a long time.
2: And all the stress associated with it. Oh my God, the the way people treat each other. You know, like yeah. I remember once I was living with this couple because I was I was a bachelor at the time, renting one of their rooms. And they were because of just uh, due to something happened, like a car breaking down or whatever, he didn't make it to Christmas. His mom, this guy's an adult, he's like in his like early 30s. His mom shows up and starts beating him up because he didn't show up to Christmas. And I'm like, what the hell? You know, I just was looking at it like That's it was little, the most uh, bizarre thing yeah. I've ever seen in my life. And these families are supposedly, you know, your normal 2.5 kid types. I had never seen her do or even say anything unpleasant the entire time I had known his mother, you know, but you know, and then the the pressure to get Thanksgiving dinner just right and all that other nonsense that people go through, I just, it just it disgusts me, and that's why I, you know, I say, I know what you're saying. Spending Christmas alone can be really cool because you know, you you end up in these situations that are really awkward, and you know, because it's a holiday, you know, some people take advantage of that, and they're obnoxious. But, you know, um, now we did have a caller who wanted to be added. I'm going to go ahead and add them, even though they're being a chicken. Okay. Um.
3: Um. But anyhow, back, getting back to uh, Jack's book, um, there was something I wanted to say about the first section, and then it came up again. uh, when talking about the second section, and that was about sustainability and fun. And we have a lot of people in the movement and probably in several other different organizations who really sit and talk about things like, well, we can't have this because it's not – um, it 's not the most efficient way to handle things, and we can 't have that because it 's not a very efficient use of our energy and resources but honestly, if there 's nothing for entertainment or fun, if there 's no life value, then what 's the point of the life? you know so sustainability has to include that it has to include life value.
2: That's actually something I would point out is that even in video games that simulate life, like The Sims, for example, there's an attribute you have to keep up called fun, or your sim will become less efficient in other things. It's like anything else. It's like morale. Now, I'm going to go ahead and let the caller talk because we're down to like the last six minutes of the show, and I want to be sure he gets his chance to make a statement. Matthew, welcome to V Radio. Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, we can.
1: Hello. Hi, uh, hi, Neil. Thanks for having me on. No problem.
0: This is the first first time I've
1: ever uh, called in. But, uh, yeah, this uh, Christmas, I can really relate. Uh, It's uh, tough. Like, I've listened to so many of your shows. uh, Like uh, I said earlier in the chat, uh, that one with Tammy Strobel, that was definitely one of my favorites. Uh, She talks about how she tried to, like, whittle her life down to her, her possessions down to 100 things. And uh, my mom has, uh, like, over the past few years, she's, like, completely gone in the other direction. Like, have you seen the show, uh, Hoarding? Yes. My mom is, like, borderline on being there.
2: Yep, that's – and then that's another thing uh, Annie talks about in Story of Stuff is that our houses keep getting bigger to store all of our stuff, you know, and it's – is it a, Do you think with your mom, is it a social stratification issue, or is it the idea that, you know, is it the pack ratism, the paranoia that they're going to throw something away that is useful?
1: Yeah, it's definitely the more of a pack rat thing.
2: Hmm. Yeah, that's, I, I definitely see where you're coming from with that. And it's, you know, there was one more thing I want to say on the Christmas issue, because I, and I was, I found this image that was really, really powerful. And I had really weighed, and you can still find it on my Facebook account, which reminds me, folks, please add me to your Facebook, and don't forget to join the, uh, or ask to join the uh, V Radio Facebook uh, group. It's called Fans of V Radio. But anyway, I put a photo up, and it was called Define Necessity.
0: And I weighed... Yeah, that was awesome. I saw that. That was good.
2: Yeah, and I weighed so heavily, I'm like, man, do I really want to drop this on people on Christmas Eve? Because the photo is a photo of um, a poor African child lying on the ground, dying, next to, the, the photo is then divided with a Christmas tree, with a ginormous amount of presents under it, you know, and the image just creates in your mind, like, in the next room there's going to be a turkey or a ham and potatoes and, you know, it just, and and I didn't want to ruin everybody's holiday. But when I looked at that, that was another reason I was thinking, you know, I don't really mind so much that I'm just sitting here alone by myself tonight. Maybe I, maybe I don't need to be, uh, taken part of the quote unquote American dream that doesn't seem to include anybody outside of the country. (laughs) Um, and that's, it, you don't really realize that until you, you look at, you know, other people. And it's like, yeah, people are reacting to the picture <laughs> in the chat room right now. Yeah, that made me, a, you know, a little sick, sick
0: with guilt. Well, it, yeah, it's kind of like Jack's book uh, uh, when when he was talking about people building churches and whatnot, um, you know, while people starve or whatnot. If you look at the, the storage industry, it's a multi-billion dollar industry and people are homeless, you know what I mean? It's like we're storing our stuff and yet... You know we don't we don't have houses for people. You know it's it's completely ridiculous. Backwards. We pay
2: for these extra garages for like eighteen dollars a month. Yeah, I know what you mean. Those little storage facilities. You know, but, and that's it's crazy.
3: So, you know, talking about st- storage. Working as a trim carpenter, I got to see some of the strangest things, and, and some of the most aberrant things. Because working as a trim carpenter, my specialty was closets, and I could build some fantastic closets, but. More often than not, what the women that were getting these really big, beautiful, multi-million dollar homes wanted wasn't a beautiful closet so much as it was one that you could fit as much stuff in there as possible. And I mean, there there were times when these women had 14-foot ceilings, and if the shelves didn't go absolutely all the way up to the ceiling, man, you're just wasting a whole bunch of space there. What am I going to do with all that empty space?
2: Yep, that's definitely the case. Now, um, we're down to the last three minutes of the show. Uh, The way that Blog Talk has changed itself now, I actually have to pay $40 a month to have two-hour shows, just so you guys know. My operating costs went up. If you want to do a show now that's free, it can only be 30 minutes, and obviously that's not going to work for for V-Radio. And uh, So, Jack, um, I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of have the, the last comment. Um, Since we're down to the last two minutes
1: Sure Um, Since everybody's Talking about Christmas Imagine Christmas within the community Where a number of us Spent Christmas alone and we enjoyed that But imagine Getting together with a loving group of people And celebrating our connection with, With one another Imagine the kids As opposed to having toys And playing within their own homes To be able to go outside to play with other kids their own age, for the adults to be able to to play almost anything with anybody anytime they want, as, as opposed to the kind of setup that we've got now where it's just too distant and too hard to get together with people within the scope of our everyday working lives. The community can So much more abundance, and we need to define abundance as more than just material wealth, and we can do that so easily in communities designed for the highest good for all.
2: Absolutely, Jack, and I look forward to our next show on your book. Um, We're now down to the last minute of the show. I want to thank all of my panelists for being on. I want to thank my caller um, for calling in. Um yeah, I know you were getting all apprehensive, you know, you'll notice we didn't bite you or anything.
1: <laughs> ah, yeah.
2: <laughs> so I hope to hear more from you guys later. Um make sure you guys visit vradio.org, v-radio.org if you want to learn more about tonight's show, don't forget to go to communityplanet.org. Um and be sure to check out The Next Evolution by Jack Reed. Um this has been an, another episode of V Radio. Thank you everybody for tuning in and thank you for your support. Your donations are actually what keep me from losing my house I wish it wasn't that pathetic but um, please you know, register on my forums and because of the fact you guys are supporting me as much as you are tell me what you want to hear on the show, give me the ideas so thanks a lot guys I'm going to leave you with some parting words from Jacques Fresco and Roxanne Meadows maybe I'm not because for some reason it's not working <laughs> in any case that was it alright We're actually uh, going to go ahead and disconnect. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in, and I'll talk to you guys a little bit off the air.